Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Julie and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 25th. Today we are reading from the big book and we are on page 25, the last paragraph starting with, if you are as seriously. Today's readers are Du, Larry, and Marjorie. The reference number for Monday, February 24th, is 5966. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA and to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Edith to read the 12 steps. Hi, this is Edith, a recovering compulsive overeater in Alabama. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, We try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Edith. I will now ask Rachel to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Rachel, recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. 3. The only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. 4. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. 5. Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. 6. An OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Rachel. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the direction for recovery described in the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive readers only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 25, the last paragraph, starting with, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were. I will ask Du to begin reading. Good morning. This is Stu, Recover Compulsive Overeater. says, if you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there's no middle-of-the-road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. And if we had to, um, if we had to pass into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of the intolerable situation as best as we could. And the other one was to accept spiritual help. This we, we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. Um, 
says here, if we are seriously alcoholics as we were, we believe there's no middle of the road of the uh, of the solution. And you know, as as a compulsive overeater, I kept looking for different alternatives other than <laughs> middle of the road. Um, I was looking for you know from for different methods to help me out. Um, I looked for them in pastries. I looked them for them in baked goods. I looked for them. I was always looking for what what one of our um, one of our friends fellow uh, fellow sojourners here talks about door number three. You know, um, I was looking for that door number three. Different methods, different uh, remedies, different ways of getting this. And I, I was just getting crushed by this illness because, you know, my disease kept getting worse and worse and worse and never got better because it's a progression. You know, it continues. And, you know, my 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 disease just get getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I just I just couldn't find that. And the whole book, you know, this whole paragraph talks about that there are no other alternatives. We had to come to a position where, you know, life was becoming impossible, and I had passed through that region with no return through human aid. So no human aid, no no dieting, no starving, no over-exercising, no reading self-help books, no um, uh, trying different methods that way uh, was going to help me to get to where I needed to go. Um, we had but two alternatives. It says we had two alternatives. One was to go to the better end, blocking out the consciousness of this intolerable situation as best as we could, or accept that um, I needed uh, spiritual help. And I didn't want to throw in the towel. I didn't want to surrender 100% to this program of recovery. You know, and it says that unless I surrender 100%, half measures will deal me nothing not even a little bit. And I always think about um, a window screen when I'm describing my disease because, you know, when a window screen is covered 100%, um, there's no bugs that come through it, you know, and, and, and you're not infested with bugs in your house. But even if you leave that 1% of the window screen uncovered, what usually happens, the bugs start crawling in, squeezing in, and they get in. And eventually what happens is your whole whole household is infested with bugs. And you're wondering, well, what happened? It's just only 1% that the window screen is not closed, and yet these bugs get through. And that's how I see the disease, that unless I do this 100% and I leave just a little tiny room for the disease to crawl in, guess what? It's going to infest me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to totally get me. So, um, you know, it's it's not about just almost doing these things, you know, almost being a real compulsive overeater or almost needing to work the steps or almost needing a sponsor or almost, you know, taking the steps or almost praying or almost needing God. You know, it has to be, you know, 100%. I need this 100%. Um, I can't almost get recovered. I need to be either recovered or not be recovered you know, because it doesn't work. Um, you know, it, it, if I'm not convinced, I just have to look at my life and I have to see that, you know, prior to accepting step one, I had to realize that my human resources, everything that I did, everything that I thought, 
everything that I reasoned, every willpower, every effort, every goal that I had, every good intention would not solve my problem of compulsive overeating. Why? Because I tried it over and over and over again. I tried many different methods. So my human resources alone weren't sufficient for me to get this. So my choices were narrowed down. Either I had to rely on a power greater than myself or be doomed to compulsive overeating. You know, and I believe that, you know, I, I, I was just getting worse and worse because I was breaking out in close to 300 pounds. You know, I was isolating, depressed, suicidal ideation. I was, you know, not having these these easy alternatives to face. Um, but, you know, what I see is that I had to, I had to give up the resistance. I had to give up, I had to give up that and accept spiritual help if I was, if I was going to beat this game, you know. And the only way that God can come through me and work through me is if I surrender 100% because he works best with pain and brokenness. And, and that's when I need it, you know. I didn't need to be intellectual. I didn't need to get this, you know, through self-knowledge or get this um, at an intellectual level because God doesn't, doesn't work through the mind, per se, he works through the heart, you know, what's in your heart, and he reaches through the heart. And um, and I saw that, you know, that I either had to go through this life blotting out the consciousness of this intolerable situation of compulsive overeating, you know, by continuing to do the insane manners and the same way of living, or I had to give up to this program of recovery, you know, so... Bottom line is, I had to get it in my heart level. I had to get it in my gut level. You know, it wasn't an exercise that I could get it intellectually. And if I wasn't convinced, all I had to look at was, you know, how the disease was killing me, how the disease was bringing me to that doom anyways, and it was progressively getting worse and worse. So finally, I didn't understand what I was giving myself up to. I I just surrendered to God. I surrendered to this program. I didn't have to understand him. I didn't have to define him. I didn't have to uh, understand what was going on. All I needed to know was that something else was going to work in my life. I needed a different angle, a different way of doing things. And, you know, and I hear it all the time in this meeting. Freedom isn't free. There's a price to be paid. And my price to pay was that I had to put down the food and I had to put down felt. You know, and I, I had to I had to stop bowing down to these um to these things, you know. I had to stop bowing down to the food. I had to stop bowing down to um to 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 my compulsive overeating and I had to start implementing the steps that's here. And one of the things that it talks about here that we did it because we were honestly wanted to and we were willing to make an effort. And if I'm not honest about my disease and where I'm at, and if I'm not willing to do the work, it's not going to work. I have to surrender 100% to this program for it to work. And I have to be willing to do the work, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, not half measures, but whatever it takes. And so, um, you know, I, I just hope that, you know, people that are coming in and uh, listening to this program, they that decision because it's really important to make the decision and with that I pass. Thank you, Do. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? 
Hi, I'm Amy. From Pittsburgh. Okay, I have Amy and who else? Hiya. Lorna from Pittsburgh. Okay, there's somebody right before Lorna. Hiya. Hiya, thank you. Okay, Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Uh, I'm going to ditto a lot of what Du just said, but I think this is such an important paragraph. All of these paragraphs are so important. What we've been building up to is the fact that there truly is for us as compulsive overeaters no middle-of-the-road solution. We, we're dealing with not only a physical allergy but a mental a mental obsession that is so destructive it warps our minds. And as we talked about yesterday, that nothing less than a personal transformation through the spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening through working the steps is going to bring us to the land of recovered. And that this is serious, this is serious business. You know, we have two choices here, and they're very clear that if we are truly alcoholic compulsive overeaters, that we will do one of two things. We're going to either continue to eat what I was doing and blotting out this intolerable situation to the point where we're practically unconscious. I mean, that's what I did. I numbed out in a huge way. It was an on or an off button. I was either binging my brains out or trying desperately to go on another diet, you know, putting the Band-Aid on the bullet wound, as they say. Or we accept spiritual help. You know, this disease is fraught with the three Ds, you know, denial, delusion, and defiance. And at some point when we're, you know, we're on this line, we heard of, we hear about the disease, we hear about the instructions and how to recover, you know, we stand at a turning point and we have to choose to surrender to this program or we keep on eating. That's the way it was for me. There was no middle-of-the-road solution. I either continued to deny who I was, a compulsive overeater, delude myself into thinking that I could find another way, an easier, softer way, or that somehow I would gather enough willpower once again to pull myself up by my bootstraps and and work and beat this, you know, and defy the fact, all consequences to the, the contrary, that I was losing in a huge way. And I was dying of this disease, desperate, dying, and doomed of this disease. Three more deeds. And that if I didn't do something, make some sort of choice, be willing to make an effort like it talks about in this paragraph that I was going to die of this disease. This is a very serious paragraph where we have to make a choice. You know, we have to make a choice here. Do we choose to surrender and pick up this kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet, trusting that those who have gone before? I mean, we read about it two paragraphs earlier. When therefore we are approached by those in whom the problem has been solved, there was nothing left for us but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. Who picks them up? I have to, because I'm willing to make the effort. Why? Because this disease is killing me. And if I can be honest just for a moment to say, this is who I am This is what I need. God, help me, higher power, whatever, whomever, at least to be willing and to be open, to not shut the doors, as they talk about in the spiritual appendices, to be open. That's all that we need to do is to be willing to do that, to say, I am who I am. Please help me. And the instructions are here. God is here for all of us. A higher power is here for all of us. But it all started with this middle of the road. What could I do? What was I going to do? What, what road was I going to take? 
And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And Haya, would you please share? Did you say Lauren? Uh, Haya? Oh, sorry. Okay, hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, okay, great. Hi, everyone. This is Haya, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Eater and Bulimic in Denver, Colorado. I want to welcome anyone who's new or new or coming back or struggling. Um, we, we're excited to get to um, welcome you at the end of the hour. Um, so here it's saying if you are seriously alcoholic as we were, step one, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution, step two, right? We were in a position where life was becoming impossible, step one. <laughs> and uh, we've passed into the region from which there's no return through human aid, step two. So here it's telling me, you know, if I have those two qualities, one, when I eat certain foods, um, I can't guarantee that I can stop, triggers a craving, or when I stop, I can't guarantee that I can stay stopped, that I'm seriously compulsive eater, and I only have two choices. Um, one is to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could by eating, right? Because the, the intolerable situation is, is, is really the way I'm living, um, and I'm eating to deal with that. Um, and the other is to accept spiritual help. This we did because we honestly wanted to and were willing to make the effort. That's step three, the decision to want to turn my will and life over to the care of God and then willing to make the effort, the decision to go on with the remaining of the steps. And um, one of my uh, sisters in recovery you know, uh, said to me such a beautiful thing that comes from this, this particular sentence. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation, consciousness, and this sentence. And then um, in the 11th step, when it talks about getting God consciousness, and, uh, you know, when I was in the food, I was unconscious. I was unconscious. I was medicating with the food, blotting out my life, right? Blotting out the stuff that, you know, we find as we work through the steps. Um, what, what the real problem was. You may think the problem is food. Food was my solution, actually. Um, the real problem is what happens when I take the food away. So I'm unconscious when I'm in the food. Then I put down the food, and, I, and I'm in the process of the steps, and I become self-conscious itself. And that's what I find through the process is, is that self is what's blocking me. And through the process of the steps, through steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and 9, and then continuous action through step 10, and 11, I get God conscious and living that way in step 12. And because I'm human, you know, I'm not always going to be God conscious. And the book tells me that I'm going to get better and better at it. So I go from unconscious to self-conscious to God conscious and hopefully teetering more and more in the God consciousness than in the self-consciousness. But I have the steps each day, step 10 and step 11, to allow me um, to try to stay in that realm of God conscious as much as possible. So there's kind of like two doors, like as one of our members says, door number, there is no door number three. Door number one, insanity, roller coaster, blotting out my situation. Door number two, spiritual help. And that is truly um, a gift. Spiritual help, I can tell you, being on both sides from the insanity of the disease 
to being covered and living a spiritual way of life directed by these steps is so much better. And I'm very, very grateful to be among, um, to have been freed. And um, uh, thank you for letting me share. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Haya. And Laura, would you please share? Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to offer nothing new, but I'll try to, I'll try. Okay, this is Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. Okay, again, this paragraph is very, very, very important for somebody like me because I had to adopt this attitude that just came that just came from living very sickly before I picked up these spiritual tools and my experience showed my experience showed that I had no other way out other than these steps <clears throat> It says if I'm I'm hearing things that have nothing to do with how to have a deep and effective spiritual experience, then I'm hearing middle-of-the-road solutions. And on page 17, they gave me a prescription. Lauren, do you want to get recovered from mind and body? Here is your prescription. They say you need the fellowship and you need the simple program of the steps. And I, I think a middle-of-the-road solution for me would be just doing the fellowship or just doing the book. I need to combine both to hear my story in both ways. And now, going back on that, I do see that this book was written for people who did not have a fellowship because when this book was created, they didn't have a fellowship. But I think today my prescription needs to include both, but I don't, okay. But moving on, moving on to this paragraph, a middle-of-the-road solution for me is one that's not going to get me recovered and one that does not lead me to God. And I shared uh, a couple days ago um, at, a, at a lead, at a face-to-face meeting, that I realized people don't use the book. And however, I stress the book because this is my spiritual tool that led me to God and got me recovered. I do not know if there are other ways. The book says we have no monopoly on God, and perhaps people in OA have other ways of getting to God and getting recovered. I'm not, I don't know, right? But the book worked for me. So the book is, is all I can share because that is all my experience was. And the book was not a middle-of-the-road solution because the book for me was a deep and effective tool to get me closer to God and have a relationship to God that removed my obsession to kill myself. And finally, um, this for me is about getting to God abstinent or not, because I was abstinent for a couple of months before working the book, but I was not in that door number two of spiritual recovery. I was still in my disease, 
And I think you can stay sober by just going to meetings. But I think that you will not live a life happy and joyous and free by just going to meetings. That you will by working the steps. And I don't know how long you can stay sober on just going to meetings. So I'm here not just to be abstinent, but to get a relationship to God. Because that is when I get to live in that beautiful fourth dimension of existence that I couldn't even have dreamed of. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Uh, this is yes. Liz. Liz. I am Kim. I've got Kim, I've got Liz, and there was somebody in between. Pardon? Pardon? Oh, Janice. Okay. So, Kim, go go ahead. Good morning. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I went to bed last night all excited that we were going to do this paragraph today. I just love this paragraph. So, I'm going to pull out. We had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. So, you know, for many years I thought that intolerable situation was being in the food. I can't deal with it anymore. I cannot be in the food anymore. And if that was truly my problem, if the food and the weight was truly my problem, if that was my intolerable situation, then abstinence would fix that, right? So the intolerable situation isn't being in the food. The intolerable situation is being abstinent. Abstinence is so uncomfortable. We often hear in the rooms, abstinence will make you feel better. And that is so true because it's going to make you feel anger better. It's going to make you feel depression better. It's going to make you feel anxiety better. That is why we eat. Absence makes me feel restless. It makes me feel irritable. It makes me feel discontent. I am so uncomfortable in my own skin. I need to blot out my consciousness, and I need to do that the only way I've ever done it, which is with the food. Because you're telling me I have to be abstinent all day long? I have to be abstinent in the morning. I have to be abstinent in the afternoon. I have to be abstinent at night. That is a long 24 hours. And when I get down to those two alternatives, when I am in that desperation of living a life in my true disease, in the ism of alcoholism, I am brought down to two alternatives. One, I'm going to pick up the food and blot out the consciousness in my situation. And the other is to go for spiritual help. Those are my two alternatives. And if I still think there's another alternative, if there is another gimmick that I can try, I'm going to try that gimmick. I heard a speaker say recently that someone would just come up to him and say, kid, are you out of ideas? That was my reality until I was out of ideas, until I was down to these two alternatives, until I understood that my real problem is this restless irritability and discontentment. I wasn't willing to go for the steps. I wasn't willing to go for spiritual help. So as Lauren was saying, if if you are a hard eater, maybe you can go to meetings. Maybe you can just, just, you know, have, you know, don't drink, take the drink through, put the plug in the jug. But if you are a true compulsive overeater, the true nature of our illness is abstinence is too painful to stay in for any length of time. 
and that willpower and human aid and staying on guard is not going to protect us because we are going to have to blot out the consciousness of that intolerable situation or we're going to have to go for spiritual help. And I hope that this teaching gets you to that point where life is impossible because it is only then that we're going to be open up to the true solution, which is a connection with the higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Janice? Uh, this is Liz from New Hampshire. From New Hampshire? Uh, I think um, Janice was first before Liz. I'm sorry. I can wait. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Julie, for your service, and thank you, everybody. My name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, it, you know, the test is, uh, am I a serious alcoholic? Am I truly a compulsive overeater? Well, you know, I ran out of all methods, so there's nothing I can do physically because there's no human aid. There's no no sponsor. There's no meeting. There's no diet. There's no pill. So I know that. There's nothing left to, to, to zoom in on my physical allergy. But like was mentioned, that's only half the problem. The real problem here for me is the way I used to think. There's no human aid that can change my thinking it's because, because I experienced it. So now is the test, my real, this is all about thinking because this is the real problem. You know, am I at the point that I can just think my way through a next, you know, not picking up that next bite? Do I have a defense against it? No. See, it tells us in the page before us, page 24, we can review that. If these are the consequences of my thinking, then I'm powerless. Then I'm powerless when I'm stopped. When I stop, when I'm just dieting and get a food plan. That's the real problem. So there's a choice, like it's been saying, an alternative, a choice. It's my choice what I want to do. Do I want to continue to see if I can find a way out? If I can find something that's going to change my thinking, because that's the real problem. We can all stop, get a good food plan. Where can I get that? Where, Where can I get that change? Well, it's telling us the only way that I can have a change in my thinking would be through a spiritual awakening. That's the only way. That's the only way I know of because that's what I experienced. I had all the knowledge. I had all the meetings, you know. And if the meeting that I go to does not stress this point, there's no sense of me being at that meeting because I will never find the truth because I I know what the truth is for me, for me. You know, that's what I found out. So, you know, do I do I keep putting my hand on that stove like it said on page 24? Do I go back over and over and over again? Well, if you do that with your food and keep getting burnt, then it's our thinking that's the problem. It's not the food. It's our thinking. And guaranteed, those of us that are recovered have experienced this. We know all about the problem, but we experience the spiritual awakening to solve our problem of the mind. That's the answer for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Liz, would you share, please? Yes. This is Liz, and uh, 
what really struck me is um, how many years I, I lived in the middle of the road. And, you know, I sort of picture myself living in the middle of the road, which is about the most dangerous place, literally, even to stand or put yourself. And I also think about you know, half measures avail us nothing. And uh, I kept thinking, well, I can, I can do it. I can do it my way, my way, my way, my way. And, and my way got me to the, the point of being close to the, the, the place of the region from which there is no return through human aid. And um, <clears throat> fortunately brought me to these meetings. And uh, also fortunately uh, on my knees and um, making the decision to get a sponsor and start the step process and realizing that there was no help for me at all unless I went through the steps and sought spiritual help and did it the way it has to be done because I, of myself and of my own knowledge and my intelligence, was not going to be able to help myself. And as I now complete my fourth step and fifth step, I realized just how much of myself has failed and will always fail and that it is only through the surrender of myself and turning myself over to a power greater than myself I'm going to make it. But it was really this line of the middle of the road solution that made me just picture myself standing in the middle of the road and reminding me too of the half measures that I've taken for years that have absolutely availed me nothing. And I just wanted to share that because it's only by now giving up me and saying I can't do it anymore and surrendering and realizing how I've gotten in my own way for so long and I have to get out of my own way and I also have to get out of the way traffic that I will survive. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before we move on, would anybody else like to share on this paragraph? Leah. This is Sherry. Leah. Okay, Leah, and then Sherry. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much, Julie, for your service. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. If you are as seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle-of-the-road solution. You know, when I read this paragraph, I just... Uh, think back of my personal history and feeling cornered. You know, I was just felt cornered by this disease, you know, like an old horror show where you're just, you know, (laughs) cornered and, uh, you know, serious. You know, this, this was serious for me, this allergy of the body, serious business, this obsession of the mind, uh, the greater aspect of my disease, you know, that mind of mine kept taking me back to that which was killing me. <laughs> you know, I would self-destruct with my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort, and it just would not stop. I mean, I didn't, you know, I had had this problem with compulsive overeating since I was a little kid, uh, but I did not know what I was up against, and I certainly did not understand the depths to which I would go and how hot hell would would get. I did not see the writing on the wall, but that vice kept tightening. 
it kept tightening. And, uh, you know, just like it was previously mentioned, uh, living was so hard. I had a rough time living. Compulsive overeating was my solution. I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I did that very well, thank you very much. I had a rough time living. But, you know, I had to be pretty badly mangled before I would commence to, uh, you know, stop searching for door number three. There was no middle-of-the-road solution, but gosh darn it, I was going to try to find it. Um, you know, I had that my case is different kind of business going on, and I, and I see that around. You know, in your mind, you know, you might show up here every day, and, and you might identify as a compulsive overeater, but there's a part of us, you know, that thinks my case is different, and that's what kills us. Because if we think that our case is slightly different than everyone else, that type of thinking is like a death warrant. At least I found it to be so for myself. Because if I'm slightly different, then I could use perhaps a slightly different program than everyone else. And when you need a slightly different answer, you don't really need a sponsor and you don't really need to follow these steps exactly and you don't really need to take this thing so damn seriously and you don't really need to follow directions that are described in this book. And so you end up with what I like to call the almost syndrome. You're almost a real serious compulsive overeater, and you almost need a program, and you almost need a sponsor, and you almost need to do the steps as outlined, and you almost need, uh, you know, a higher power. And you know what you get with that? You get almost recovered. And you know what almost recovered is? It's valueless. (laughs) It's like almost powerless is valueless. It's as valueless as wearing a parachute on your back but never pulling the ripcord. You know, my experience has been that I had to admit 100% powerlessness because if I don't admit 100% powerlessness, then I don't need a power greater than myself because I have me as a power greater than myself. That's how my disease functions. And, you know, I can go into this text every day and we can learn about the exact nature of our condition and we can learn about physical allergy and we can learn about the obsession of the mind and we can even accept all that. But you know what? A disease like ours takes more than acceptance. It takes willingness. It takes action. Because unless I make a decision and take action, admission of powerlessness is superficial and short-lived. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Sherry, would you please share next? Did you say Sherry? Yes, I did. Um, okay. Uh, hey, everybody. This is Sherry, and I'm I'm a compulsive overeater um, in recovery, and um, I'm in Georgia. Um, I just wanted to share some thoughts and some feelings um, on what's been shared in the paragraph and also the paragraph in the book. Um, y- you know, my vision is getting clearer as I look back, and 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 as I also sit with my feelings um, um, today, as I work this program of recovery, um, I can remember, and I hadn't remembered this oh in ever, forever, um, that um, when I was a child riding home on the school bus, and I probably was like um, eleven or twelve, I would I I would think about what was at home that I could eat. How much was there? Um, I could have the ice cream that's still in the freezer. 
now what child does that? I never, I never understood. Uh, I don't know. I just thought, wow, wow, wow. Um, and and also I look at my compulsive overeating through the years, which is all I've ever, ever, ever done, um, is um, as, as a ball and chain. Uh, didn't know it at the time. Didn't know I seemed to have a preoccupation with um, um, with with food and also with how I could get rid of the weight that was on my body by all kinds of different ways, um, exercising and crazy, crazy stuff. But um, but I, I'm just uh, I, like I said, my vision is is getting clearer and. Um, it's just really uh, my eyes are opening up to uh, something new that I've never seen before, and and I want this so badly, and um, and I, I, I and I'm getting there. I am getting there, um, and I'm just very grateful to be part of this. So very grateful, and um, and um, and the freedom is rather enjoyable. Anyway, thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Sherry. Would anyone else like to share? Hello, this is Rachel from Jerusalem. May I share? Yes, you may, Rochelle. Hello, hello. Thank you for your service, and thank you for being there, uh, all of you, my dear friends. Um, Can you hear me okay? Hello? Yes, okay. So I, I want to share something wonderful with you, a miracle, really a miracle, all that has been said about how how different it is to 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 white knuckle and to do all this without God, you know, and, and to look forward to a whole life, you know, with this struggle and what has happened to me yesterday. And yes, it took five years and two months and, and ten days to come to that point that my big, big issue was always bread, not even sugar. And I, I said already on program a few times that as a Holocaust survivor, bread, the stuff of life, you know, we didn't have in our, in our lexicon cakes and, and, and ice cream and candy. But yesterday, I was asked to come and help for poor families. The bakery donated 2,000 loaves of bread to, uh, to uh, uh, pass out to families in need because some families are in that kind of need, even here, you may be surprised. So I helped pack these breads, like five of them in a, in a bed, when people came to pick up, people with uh, big families. I, I, I can't believe it, that bread became just another object in the world for me. This was the thing that used to drive me nuts, you know. And now, I, the person who asked me, she said, you know, I, I mean, in, we need help, but if she's from program, she's still in program, but if that's going to bother you, you know, you know, we, we can, we will do it without you. And I gladly came and I helped and she called me this morning and said, how did you live through the night? I mean, it doesn't exist. It's not that I'm fighting it, it's, it's another object. And just like I wouldn't bite those bags that, or the boxes in which they came, that's how I wouldn't think 
for now, just for today, the daily reprieve. Daily reprieve is the postponement of a death sentence because for me, consuming that, that substance would bring me into such depression that I wouldn't want to live anymore because it's sugar. It, it races through your veins as glucose. It doesn't say bread. You don't have a slice of bread, bread running around in your veins uh, um, a few hours later. You have sugar running through your veins. So this, you know, this is for me a miracle, and, and I love the program, and I love you guys, and thank God, you know, that we've been mangled enough to have realized that there are not two, there's not a third door. That is it for me, and life is changing to the better every day. Thank you so much, and I pass. Thank you. And Heidi, would you like to share? Yes, thank you. Are you hearing me okay? Yes, I can now, thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, this paragraph, I remember the first time I read this paragraph, um, and I've only been uh, working this wonderful program for uh, just over a month, and the statement, uh, uh, one can go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation. That just so hit me like a thunderbolt that that was exactly, exactly what I had been doing uh, gosh, the only joy in going to work was that I could go out to lunch and what would I have? And then being so full, trying to work, but getting full and sleepy. And Well, the only joy in the afternoon would be go visit this coworker in their little candy dish. And going home, the only joy is what's on TV and what can I eat while I'm watching that on TV. And, and then getting coma-like and so numb. It was awful, totally blotting out this intolerable terrible circle that I was stuck in, um, and it's it's so fresh. It's not like it's years and years ago. This was, you know, two, two months ago. Um, wow. When I read that, I I, I remember it. that was a, one of the points that, that this big book got me and got into my skin, got into my blood, because I, I got that. I understood that. And it goes on to say that I can accept spiritual help, and this this paragraph also talks also talks about I'm I'm not sure what that is I'm not doing it <laughs> um it talks about no middle of the road solution and I've I've just had the uh, and I'm going to call it a blessing to understand for me where I am right now at least what no middle of the road solution because what I what I've learned in the last week is that I can't just kind of uh offer myself to my higher power can't just kind of work these steps because if I do, uh, oh my gosh, this insidious sneaky disease just sneaks up on me and knocks me right back down on my butt. And I am helpless to control it. And what I, the mistake I was making and what I've learned is there's no, there is no half measure. There's no middle of the road. For me, what it means is I must immerse. And uh, I, I reached out to an OA buddy um, who, who listens to this program and, and she said the greatest thing that just stuck with me, she said, I am immersed in this program. And I realized that that, uh, that was a mistake I'd made is that I'd started out very immersed. I wasn't halfway giving to this program. I wasn't middle of the roading it. I was, every waking moment, I was thinking about it, feeling it, uh, reaching out in it, reading about it. And when I stopped doing that, and was kind of acting middle of the road, my disease uh, snuck back up on me and bit me right in the butt. 
And so, and and it's such a miracle. It's so amazing now that then as soon as I re-immersed 100% actively, not passively listening, not passively reading, actively talking, actively writing, uh, actively deciding, um, and all day long, wow, it, it eased up. And I could feel, again, uh, the arms of my higher power helping me and assisting me. And I'm I'm not recovered yet. I am a compulsive overeater, and I am still a compulsive overeater today. But I know that if I'm committed 100%, I'm not taking the middle of the road, and I'm active in my program today, I have faith that it's my disease is not going to grab hold of me by the throat and throw me to the ground uh, and try to kill me. So um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you, Heidi. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Larry. This is Rachel. Hey, Larry. Go ahead. Good morning. Larry recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. Thanks so much, everyone. Yeah, I can see why this paragraph, uh, <laughs> this is this is an important paragraph. Um, thank goodness there is a solution. You know, we've been talking about, you know, if you're as seriously alcoholic as we were, that alcoholic mind, that twofold, the twofold nature of the disease, the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind. The obsession of the mind is what kicked me in the butt, you know. I mean, yeah, I had an allergy. Um, but, but again, let's remember, you know, the, the, the context of this chapter nearly all have recovered, you know. They have solved the drink problem. And, you know, this is not a human solution. That pissed me off. I did, I wanted a human solution. You know, something, something is going on that is profoundly miraculous in my life that is not a human solution. And, look, you know, what I had to do is the literature says what it says. I may disagree with it. But I cannot reinterpret what it says. You know, I tried. I tried. I'm good at that. I'd hang on one word, analyze one word, and here's what I did. You see, I, I cherry-picked. Here was my middle-of-the-road the solution. I cherry-picked some things out of the big book because I was not desperate enough to embrace the entire practical program of action. That was my middle-of-the-road solution, my softer landing. See, I always wanted the cliff notes. Can you relate? I always want, you remember, I don't know if they, if they still even have cliff notes. Maybe I'm aging myself. But, you know, I never wanted to read the full thing. I'm special, you guys. After all, I'm very unique. I'm not like you. Just give me a little bit. Let me do the minimum necessary. Forget the maximum. I'll do the minimum necessary and get what you have, and then I win. Winner, winner. Sorry, I was the big loser. So um, I cherry-picked, and I wasn't desperate enough. I needed to make an informed decision on whether or not I wanted to follow the written literature in the big book or door number two. <laughs> or am I going to listen to the marginalized, you know, altered message that I was hearing? You might be hearing something different, but I was hearing in many of the rooms of OA that weren't anything but the literature, anything but the literature. They were cliff note meetings. That's it. Cliff note meetings. Love the fellowship. Beautiful people. These were not evil people. These were beautiful people. Love them. You know, but it was the marginalized cliff note meetings. And so I got the cliff note recovery. 
see, the, the fellowship could indeed be warm and fuzzy, and it, and it felt really good, you know, walking into the rooms and being embraced that way and talking about the mess. And I knew the mess. My whole life was a mess. I was a walking mess. Following directions has never been my forte. I was the guy who built the gas grill we got from my, my first marriage. That should tell you something. Um, we got a gas grill. The directions? Are you kidding me? That's for losers. I can use my mind and rationalize through all these parts and put that gas grill together and blow myself up in the process. See, we experience fellowship and we think we've arrived. I did. I came in, I sat down, and I was the, I might as well, you might as well have taped a sign middle of the road, write it right on my forehead. Give me the middle of the road. Give me the cliff notes. Let's get to the action. Forget some of the stuff. I am, I am grateful this is a spiritual program. This is a spiritual program that has profoundly altered and changed my life, and I didn't do it for myself. And I want to tell you so much, just try harder. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I'll do it, I'll do it, just do it. You'll get nothing. I'm sorry, it's not fair. You should get something. I got nothing. I got more of the same. So, um, you know, I guess... You know, this paragraph really, really, for me, it just, um, you know, it gives me a great fact that there is a solution. The practical program of action is right here in the big book. That's why we study it, and I love it. And I, I might be back tomorrow. No cliff notes in my hand. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Larry. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Larry, would you please read a vision for you? Star one to unmute. Okay, how about Marjorie? Would you please read on page 164? Hi, this is Marjorie. Thank you. I'm... I'm flipping pages. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.